welcome to The Worst Best Sellers, where we read about a vampire's right to choose so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Breaking Dawn by Stephanie Meyer. Joining us to discuss the final book of the Twilight Saga, finally, (laughs) is Caroline, a veteran Twilight enthusiast and member of the Vampire Resistance. Hello! Welcome. I'm not really sure if I'm resisting vampires or if I'm like one of the good vampires resisting something else, but I I think I'll probably work it out over the course of discussing what the hell happened in this book. Well, I I like a statement with some ambiguity. Like I think that's why Stephanie Meyer's work speaks so deeply to so many people. You, <laughs> you can just read so much into her words. And yeah, I don't know that like ambiguity and really what the hell is happening are the same thing. But uh, there's some overlap. Um, <laughs> before we get uh, very far into this, I would just like to issue a quick correction from previous episodes. Uh, I have recently have been talking about, in X-Men, how Gambit is a member of the Thieves Guild. And over on Twitter, our friend Sigrid Ellis correctly pointed out that I'm wrong and it's actually the Thieves Guild with no <laughs> H. And I just, I really regret my error and I wanted to try to make it right. That's what I like about you, Renata, that you're willing to own up to your mistakes like that. I mean, and especially I feel like because you're such a trustworthy source on all things Gambit. I know. I can't believe it. (laughs) I can't believe I would put an H on the word thief when describing him. But this podcast, tragically, is not about Gambit. Not today, anyway. (laughs) Today, we are talking Twilight. And this is a special anniversary episode for us. Our very first episode three years ago was the very first Twilight book, and Carrie was our very first guest. And so we've made it a tradition that every year on our podcast anniversary, which is September 29th, and I I think the third year gift traditionally is blood. Yes. That's right. So so please send us some. No, I don't. <laughs> Uh, But we are wrapping up the saga now. And a tradition that we started with our second anniversary. Okay, this is our third year. Is it our fourth anniversary? Shit. It's our fourth Twilight book. It's like the millennium. You have a zero year. It's the beginning of our fourth year, but it's our third anniversary and the completion of our third year. Yes. Okay, that makes sense. Ooh, this is almost as complicated as vampire chromosomes, you guys. Never. <laughs> uh, anyway, on our on our first anniversary when we read New Moon, we started a tradition where we would play a drinking game while we talk about Twilight. So we're gonna do that. <laughs> and this is a drinking game that we have um, collected suggestions from our listeners on social media and a few from ourselves. And it's just uh, sort of a list of. Things that we tend to do a lot on this podcast, and every time we do one of those things or say one of those things, we'll take a drink, and by the end of it, we're probably going to be pretty drunk. This is true. Do we want to start out reading our rules of the drinking game? Yes. Because then we can start playing it as we explain the rest of the saga. Yes. All right. The number one rule, the first rule, not the number one rule necessarily. (laughs) The most important uh, rule. (laughs) Well, interestingly enough, (laughs) um, it is 
Anytime we say something that might jeopardize our relationship with our valued sponsor, ChristianMingle.com, as I'm sure you're aware, because I'm sure you're a devout listener of this podcast, we have parted ways with ChristianMingle.com. They are no longer our sponsor. Our sponsor is now, of course, the amazing restaurant Steaks and Cakes that serves only steaks and cakes. Well, more on them later. (laughs) Uh, the next rule of the drinking game is take a drink every time we angrily defend something, even if we don't like it that much. That's still very active. <laughs> we favorably compare a character to Christian Grey. We apply lessons learned from self-help books. We reference any other book we've previously read. We resent a character mansplaining. We promote a movie or TV show over a book. We suggest specific ways to make the book better. Anyone endorses fan fiction as being better than the book. Renata references something she heard on a podcast other than this one. Kate says, this was a book. Which I feel like you don't say that much anymore. I don't. They are still books. (laughs) They are, yes. That is true. Allegedly. (laughs) We say literally. We call something garbage, which is still alive and well. Take a drink if Duarte interrupts, which he's currently sitting right next to me, so I I will be ready to drink. <laughs> um, I do also have a cat in the room with me. Do we get to drink if she has something to say? Hell yes. All right. Hadassah, you heard that. <laughs> and then the last one is our guest thinks this book is much worse than Kate and Renata did because their standards have been drastically altered by this podcast. Um, probably in this case, I that's not going to happen. We'll <laughs> probably see. not. That was the last of the original rules. We have added a few more to reflect the new reality of 2017 worst bestsellers. Uh, we take a drink anytime we make a musical theater reference. I can't believe that wasn't an original rule. But then I do remember the podcast came out before the Hamilton cast recording. Yes, it did. What did we even talk about? <laughs> Books, I guess. Uh <laughs> <laughs> do do take a drink every time we reference steaks and cakes. The movie was better, which I expected. In fact, there are two movies that we can compare this book to, so that should be exciting. Take a drink any time a woman describes her own body in the mirror. Take a drink for uncomfortable written-out dialect, which I'm drinking right now for Teeves Guild. <laughs> <laughs> Having read this book, uh, I'm going to put baby talk in as a dialect. Oh, boy. (laughs) We frantically have to Google something mid-show. And finally, take a drink anytime someone starts laughing during a dramatic reading. Oh, boy. We're going to get pretty drunk. Yeah, to be clear, I'm already drinking, like, through this whole thing, right? So I guess I just drink harder when these things happen. Yeah, we'll just definitely take a drink when that happens. Uh, What are you ladies drinking tonight? I'm drinking a sort of bastardized version of a French 75, which is champagne, uh, gin, and lemon juice. Uh, I don't have any simple syrup, and I did not have time to whip some up, even though it is very simple and quick. Uh, But I'm drinking a very sweet champagne, so uh, or a very sweet sparkling wine, so it kind of, I don't really need it anyway. So I I pre-gamed a little. I had a hard cider with dinner. And my dinner was a vegetarian corn dog, which I do think Bella Swan would approve of. Um, And then now I've I've upgraded a little bit and I've made a cocktail out of raspberry lemonade and raspberry vodka. 
because mm-hmm. I had some raspberry vodka left over from a party. And I feel like this whole podcast and Twilight relationship is like, you know, we got these lemons and we're making lemonade out of it. And, <laughs> and then the raspberries are like, you know, for blood. <laughs> Guys, I'm, I'm not a mixologist. <laughs> but I'm drinking this and it's pretty good. I put a lot of thought into this, which was, first of all, some sparkling wine for a wedding. But instead of, like, actual champagne, I got an Italiano Spumante, which is Italian sparkling wine, which is, since it was $6 at Kroger, I don't think the Volturi would drink it. But I think it does honor their Italian origins. And then, the obviously, the sparkling wine for the wedding. And then I decided to go with... Um, a version of a poinsettia, which is like a cranberry um, champagne cocktail, because there is a very brief Christmas that passes in this book. And so, yeah, I just cranberry juice and um, Grand Marnier for the citrus. Party. All right. So I guess, is that all the things that we wanted to say before we got too drunk? I think so. Okay, cool. So. So let's go. This book is 750 pages long. <laughs> and yet, and I know we say this kind of a lot, although it's not a drinking game item. This There was like, nothing happens in this book, but it takes so long. But also, also things do happen, but they happen at such a strange pace. I don't know. Uh, the thing of it is, I, I feel like I really have no room to complain because uh, I don't care about these characters, but like... In theory, this is my ideal book, like 800 pages of nothing really happening, but like a family getting together and there's a wedding and a baby is born and everyone's in love. And then there's just like they get a house and things are great. And yeah, so I can't I feel like there's no room for me to complain as that is the story that I am always writing, including right now. (laughs) But, you know, really nothing happens happens i mean i i feel like there there are some conflicts that you're kind of gliding over no and that's like i started to say nothing happens i was like well things do happen but the pacing is so strange that it's like equal weight and equal measure is given to like describing bella's outfits as to describing like centuries old conflicts between rival vampire clans and like those two things are equally important and i think that's kind of just like some of the magic of twilight like, yeah, there's just these, like, long stretches between, like, okay, like, we're married, and then, like, she's pregnant, and that's stretched out for, despite the fact that it only takes place over, like, two weeks, it's stretched out to a gazillion pages, and then, yeah, like, everything just takes forever to happen. And by the way, I do want to interject. I think in the past we've tried to sum up previous books for you. At this point, I'm going to say we don't have time for this. If you're listening to this now and you care about what happened in the first three books, but not enough to like watch that movie or read that book. I said movie first because I do think that's what you should do. Um, <laughs> go, just you got to listen to the podcast if you care at all about the plot or just listen to this and accept that we cannot possibly tell you everything that happened like, you're not getting previously on Twilight, because we've got a lot of shit to do. 
Um, if you're a Patreon subscriber, and here is a reason why you should become one if you're not, we did release a, for now, Patreon members-only episode about all the Twilight movies. So, you know, if you throw us a couple bucks then you could listen to us recapping the movies for you, which would be like us recapping the books <laughs> for you if you didn't want to listen to eight hours of previous podcasts about them. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Uh, okay, that that said, uh, b- back to this one, Breaking Dawn. Uh, I, I think this is an observation. I think Carrie made it first in one of our previous episodes and that it actually sort of like reframed the way I think about Twilight is I think all these books do have the kind of feel of fan fiction. And it's tricky because, I, I mean, I like these characters more than Kate likes them. I still don't like them as much as I like, for example, Wolverine. <laughs> it's not, but... <laughs> That is an unfair standard. You're right. Um, You know, there's probably some X-Men that I like less than I like the Collins. We'll deal with that later. I don't have time to get into a full breakdown. But what I'm saying is these are, like, not my personal favorite characters. Like, I'm not going to seek out actual fan fiction about them. But it does have the kind of of beats of, like, we understand that you care about just the day-to-day life of, like, what's happening to these characters in between all her vampire adventures. We, you know... You care, like, what she's cooking Charlie for dinner, and you care about all this stuff. And maybe we don't so much, but clearly for a lot of readers, they do. And I do think that is a lot of, like, what is Twilight's charm. Yeah, I was almost going to say that before when I said, you know, that's the story I'm writing right now. Uh, which is something that I talk about a lot um, on Tumblr with regard to writing fanfiction versus writing profic, is that in fanfiction, you don't need to kill your darlings. In fact, you are discouraged from doing so because a lot of fanfiction, not all of it, but a lot of fanfiction lives in those spaces where the original canon writers have taken out those sweet but useless scenes so that you can insert your own back in. So when you're writing fanfiction, like, it doesn't make sense to t- take out the ultimately, like, sweet and awesome scene between your favorite characters that doesn't actually have to do with the plot. However, when you're publishing an 800-page book... <laughs> you- Stephanie Meyer has killed no darlings. <laughs> Never. She's killed only Irina. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Irina. Spoilers! so um uh one last thing before we actually get started doing the actual book is that this is the first twilight episode that we're recording where i have seen a twilight movie oh yeah so yeah have you seen all of them now i have now seen all of them prior to like four months ago i had seen none of them so this is go- this is a whole new world that I'm going into of visualizations <laughs> in my head for these things. Yeah, because because um, there are I and we talked about this on the movie podcast. There are some ways that the movie I think really tightens up a lot of a lot of this extra scenage. Um, take a drink for recommending the movies like seventeen times, <laughs> and for fan fiction as well. Yeah. Mm. Drinking that lemonade. Did I say on air that I ha- I made emoji ice? I'm drinking emoji ice, you guys, which is the extra <laughs> level that that makes this drink truly on brand. I'm drinking mine out of a great comet cup, which is my own personal brand. I feel. Um, but anyway, we did actually read this 800 page book at some point. 
And this book begins, as all Twilight books begin, with Bella complaining about how hard it is in her life that people love her and give her fancy things and want her to have good things in her life. Edward, as an engagement present, has bought her a new car, which she's borrowing. It's her before car for before she turns into a vampire. Um, And he's going to replace it afterwards. And I guess the one flashback that we will give to previously on Twilight is that at the end of the previous book, Bella and Edward made a compromise that Edward would agree to turn her into a vampire if she agreed to marry him first, which she did not want to do, but she agreed to it so that he would make her a vampire. Uh, And so the wedding is forthcoming. But she's in this, like, I'm not entirely sure, based on how it's described and what it's supposed to do, this, like, super tank car with uh, missile launcher-proof windows and... It's called a Mercedes Guardian, which it just occurred to me now to Google if that's a real thing. And take a drink for that. Yeah. I I don't know. I'm still typing it in. Well, the top hit is, oh boy, the top hit is Mercedes Guardian Twilight Saga Wiki. But then, (laughs) of course. But then the second is MercedesBenz.com. It is real. It is real and made famous by Twilight. (laughs) 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 According to Google's algorithm, anyway. (laughs) Wow. Um, So she's in this, like, super tank car that, and she is so embarrassed driving it. That she's a, she hasn't gone into town, like, in weeks to buy Pop-Tarts or shoelaces, which are two important things that she apparently needs and has gone without. Yeah, um, like, Bella, how, I know you're clumsy, Bella. How often do you need shoelaces? What are you doing? <laughs> oh, by the way, I'm sorry. The Mercedes-Benz website <laughs> mentions Twilight, and that's why Guardian came up. The actual car is called the Mercedes Guard. Ah. Uh. I, just saying it now before all you car freaks tweet at me. <laughs> I know there's a lot of automotive enthusiasts listening to Worst of Sellers. <laughs> um, so the these whole guys thing at the gas that- station recognize the car and they're like, oh my god, can we take pictures with your car? And she's like, sure. And they do. And she goes home. She does something. She does something, question mark, the Breaking Dawn story. Yes. There's a flashback to how she and Edward told Charlie about her getting married and uh, how she was, like, so afraid to do it. And Edward was, like, super chill. And Charlie kind of freaked out. But then in a, a thing that I found genuinely delightful, he started to laugh hysterically. And when Bella was like, what's wrong? He was like, haha, you have to tell your mom. And was like pissing himself laughing over the thought of it which i don't know why that was so funny because renee is like a total flake she's not the disciplinarian of the swan family i think it's because because we get this if i remember correctly in eclipse as well that because she had had so many bad marriages she was very anti-marriage and especially very anti-getting married young because she and charlie got married young Mm -hmm. and had made it, like, very clear to Bella before that, like, she needed to wait and be sure that she was going to get married before she did anything. I guess. <laughs> um. So now we're in the present. That was in the past. Because Renee actually is so thrilled when Bella tells her. And is like, oh, that's awesome. I knew from the moment I first saw Edward that, 
like you were in love with him and you were gonna marry him even though you were 16 and but she, whatever she says like bella you're an old soul and you're like more middle-aged than me which is like kind of true which is such a yeah. she's such a strange character she is but so she she was real excited and now they're it's wedding time and they're planning the wedding and by they i mean alice renee and esme I almost said Renesme. <laughs> Renesme is not at all helpful in this time. Yeah, there's there's like two chapters that are just like Alice's wedding Pinterest board. <laughs> and um, I just, one of the things that I think is really, I mean, it's kind of a small point, but there's there are things where the whole point of the book seems to be that Bella needs to be in charge of her own fate and do whatever she wants and, you know, get the thing that she sets out for. But if it's like, what does she want to wear or what car does she want to drive? She is not allowed any agency over those things at all. Alice tells her what to wear. Edward tells her what to drive. Okay. I think this is something we talked about a little bit more with Fifty Shades, but it's sort of the same thing here too, of this fantasy of like, society gives women so many messages about like that you shouldn't want things for yourself and you shouldn't want like fancy things and you know you should be self self-sacrificing like Bella is but of course like society also is trying to sell you all this stuff so if you're like a teenage girl you're like oh I do want like a fancy dress and I want to go to prom and whatever but also maybe I shouldn't want that and so so Bella's wishful fulfillment is like she gets all this stuff but she still gets to be this kind of virtuous character like I don't want it but I guess I'll take it and of course she looks stunning but she doesn't think she looks stunning yes also take a drink because we referenced another book yeah um so it's like the lead up to the wedding and Bella's really nervous And she's also one of the other compromises that she made with Edward is that she would pretend that she was going to Dartmouth and all that shit so that she would like be able to ease herself out of Renee and Charlie's lives. But to do that, he had to have sex with her on their honeymoon. And he's like before she's a vampire before she's a vampire. And he's like fucking dreading it because he's afraid he's going to hurt her. And she's like, shut up like it's gonna be great which we've definitely talked about before about the the flip of the dichotomy of bella always like being super horny and edward being like no i need to remain chaste but yeah so that's kind of like thrumming there in the background as well like her nerves about this and his pre-guilt guilt about this the wedding happens and also the fight the kind of fight between like her and jacob and how, like, you know, he's still in love with her. But also, they have this treaty between the werewolves and the vampires that if the vampires turn any human into a vampire, then the werewolves, then they, they, break, they break their treaty and the werewolves can fight them. And so Jacob's like, well, when Edward turns you, he's going to break the tweet. Tweety. <laughs> <It's, laughs> he's going to go on Twitter.com and tweet very mean things <laughs> about vampires. Uh, no, it's going to break the treaty. And so she has that in her mind of, like, hoping that that doesn't, like, cause problems or whatever. And she had asked him to be the best man at her wedding. And at first he he didn't come, but then he did come. 
And then they talk about the honeymoon. Like, she's like, where are you going for the honeymoon? And she doesn't know because it's a surprise. But somehow in the conversation, she lets slip that, like, they're going to fuck on the on the honeymoon. And I'm obsessed with this part because he just, like, she says it so awkwardly. I don't remember the exact line, but it comes up so awkwardly. And Jacob flips out about it. And take a drink because I'm about to... Re- mention another podcast but on the how did this get made about the breaking down movie i always think about doug benson like flipping out about the scene and he imitates jacob and jacob's reaction is basically edward your dick is gonna kill her (laughs) (laughs) it's so good (laughs) uh specifically i'm referring to doug benson's impression as being so good but the scene is also pretty good but it's like jacob what are you doing like no one asked you the the weird thing is that the impression there is that somehow he's had enough of a conversation about this to assume they're not gonna fuck on their honeymoon you know, like mm, that sort of mm-hmm. like when, like, like how much detail has Bella discussed this shit with him? Has he been reading the books? What's happening? <laughs> He's been reading her diary. He's been like, <laughs> Bella, there's a lot of blank pages. <laughs> I think he's been, he was under the impression, I think, because he's very nervous when they first start, because he shows up at the wedding and they dance like off to the side, kind of in secret, but not really, just like sort of away from everyone else. And he's been under the impression that Edward is going to turn her into a vampire like right after the wedding. Well, I think that was their original plan. So he's somehow, even though he just like ran away at the end of Eclipse and has been like on the run. Um, Werewolf hive mind. She says to him while they're dancing, like, don't worry, it's not going to be tonight. And I think that's where she references, like, we have to go on our honeymoon first. And that's where he puts the pieces together. Like, wait, he's not going to turn her into a vampire tonight. And they have to go on their honeymoon first, which means they're going to fuck and she's going to be a human still. And that's when he, like, kind of loses it. That was my impression, at least, was that prior to this, he thought he would be a vampire during the honeymoon. And now he knows she'll be a human. Well, there is even one more thing than that, because at first she's like, well, I'm going on my honeymoon first, and he's like, okay. And then she says something else, like, oh, no, it'll be like a, it'll be like a good honeymoon or something like that. And then, and then he's like, oh. Anyway. <laughs> he's, then he's like, oh, my God, your dick is gonna kill her! <laughs> um, yeah, so the wedding happens, and, like, that is all whatever and they go on their honeymoon and Alice packed for Bella like all her suitcases and she and Edward no one will tell Bella where they're going it's like a surprise so they go on a plane and they go on another plane and then they get to uh, Rio and then they get on a boat and then they go to an island and it's like the island that Carlisle bought for Esme when they got married. And it's it called Isle, Isle Esme. Esme. <laughs> yes, it's called Isle Esme. And it's like a beautiful tropical island paradise with like a beautiful tropical island cabin, including a bedroom with a big old bed in the middle of it. Hell yeah. I thought that this scene in the book, take a drink, uh, <laughs> was better in the movie. Because one of the things that I thought was missing from the book is that the movie was, like, unexpectedly funny in places. 
in a good way. Mm-hmm. And this scene in the movie I thought was particularly funny because Bella starts to get very nervous that she is a virgin and she has no idea what to do and like, what the hell? And she's going to be naked and like, how? What's going to happen? She needs to like calm herself down. And in the movie, it's hysterical. She's like brushing her teeth and going through the, the suitcase that Alice packed and it's all lingerie. And she's like freaking out. And in the book, like, it seems genuinely stressful. Yeah. Stephanie Meyer doesn't understand, like, what's funny about her characters. Yes. And I can totally understand why it would be stressful for an 18-year-old girl, like, getting ready to have sex for the first time with her more experienced, older Much older. Slash husband. (laughs) (laughs) And, like being very nervous about it but like having seen the movie first i'm like but it was so funny (laughs) and then it's so faded like the movie it's not like porn or anything but the movie you see a little bit of like oh they're in the water and they're making out and here it's like she decides on the laundry is too sexy decides she's gonna just skinny dip because she can't handle like any of these options of clothing um so she like drops her towel gets in the water fade to black wake up next morning with you know with sex sex bruises but like we don't see anything that happened leading up to that and i totally get not wanting it to be like you know you're not writing erotica but it's so nothing and i also feel like there have been scenes in the books prior where she has made more of a reference to what kind like not even sex but has like had slightly heavier petting not yeah. very heavy, ever like there's a but, point like, in has- one of them where she like realizes that edward is capable of getting a boner yes and that is all like at like it is literally like oh like he's in the water and i'm naked and in the water and now it's the next morning and there's pillow fluff everywhere and yeah there he, he bit a pillow at some point they break a bed and she has a lot of bruises, but it's like, like what happened? Yeah, like, we don't even see how they got to the bed. There's not that scene of, like, and then we walked in and we were, like, making out so hard. And he, like, you know, that kind of, like, he threw me against the door and the door opened and we got in the bed. And we were, like, making out the whole way into the room or, like, whatever. And then like, fade to black? We don't get that. The, the way it's written, like, I had to go through it a few times when I first read it because I, like, thought she had amnesia. And, like, <laughs> like... I mean, I, th- I literally thought it was because remember how she like passed out when he disappeared? Oh, so, my like, God. I you thought it was like a blank diary page. <laughs> I literally thought that she had it was like, you know, sort of her like happy passing out or something. <laughs> so it's just so and I, you know, what I, I get that you're, she's trying as weird as everything is in this book. She's trying to write like an all ages type thing. But I'm just like, you know, you use a little subtlety to let us know what exactly, because I actually remember this um, when the movie came out. I guess the first Breaking Dawn movie, there was a lot of talk about like, what does this glamorize abuse because she gets hurt? And I'm like, it was very clearly to me when I read it, consensual. You know, so I'm like, is this, it, it, maybe it's about consensual kink, but Stephanie Meyer doesn't realize it. But it's clearly, like, there's nothing that I read as being her, is him being abusive to her. But I also, like, you can't really tell what's happening, so I guess I understand that people could read different things into it. You know what would have cleared this up? Is some what? sex paperwork. 
paperwork. <laughs> if um, only. But but something that I that um, occurred to me as you were talking before about trying to make it all ages by sort of glossing it over is a really interesting look on how that doesn't work. There's this sort of, I feel like, not within people who know how books work and teenagers and the world, mm-hmm. but this sort of like, oh, like, as long as we don't show anything, then it's safe for everyone, as long as there's no, like, explicit sex. But, like, especially later in the book when she becomes a vampire, spoiler alert, like, <laughs> they go on a sex honeymoon where they just fuck for, like, days. But and it's so weird. <laughs> It's not explicit, but it is like, yeah, like we had sex for days. Like we just kept having sex because we were vampires. So we didn't have like stamina issues. We could just keep going all the time and we did it. And that is not like the idea that, which I'm sure is not, is an idea. I'm sorry. I've had a little bit to drink now. So the words aren't coming right (laughs) in the right order. Um, It's... Like, that is, that is a belief that people hold that as long as, oh, like, you showed them kissing, like, that's going to give people ideas. But, like, the n- not kissing, like, this sex marathon <laughs> is still, even though it's not described in detail, like, that doesn't make it, s- quote-unquote, safe if you're trying to keep your child from being exposed to sexuality. It's like the people who think that there's no sex in, like, old movies, because, like, there's, like, I, you can tell that a lot of, like, you know, 30s, 40s movies, you can tell when and where the people had sex, you just don't show it. Yeah. But, and then I guess if you're a kid, you can kind of, like, gloss over it, but that's probably because there's something else going on in the story. That's not what you're there for. <laughs> like a romance novel, but we yada yada the sex. So what is happening? I don't know. And by removing that part of it, like, what you make is just people like Bella who are like, fuck, I'm having sex for the first time and I don't know where any of the parts go. <laughs> like, Drink for Hadassah interruption. Yeah, I was going to say that was a... So she's She's got things to say about, about um, yeah. our uh, obsession with Twilight sex hijinks here. I mean, she's probably been spayed, so... It's not at all yeah. interesting. Well, but her. she had kittens before I got her. Mm. Oh, like Renesme. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, but even though it fades to black, we do know that they definitely fucked because Bella gets pregnant immediately. <laughs> Bella yeah, Swan like- is like the equivalent of the coach from Mean Girls, who's like, "If you have sex with a condom, you will get pregnant and die." <laughs> <laughs> Like, so, so, but after they have sex the first time and Edward is like so sad because he's like, I hurt you. And she's like, no, you didn't. (laughs) And they fight about it. And then he won't have sex with her again. And then she's having like these weird dreams about a baby and like weird food cravings and wants to eat 900 eggs every day and wakes up in the middle of the night crying because he won't have sex with her. So he's like, well, I guess if you're crying, I'll have sex with you. <laughs> it's <laughs> the wildest honeymoon. <laughs> yeah, it's like whatever his concern about hurting her or whatever just totally goes away. It's, it's yeah. all very strange. Um, but yeah, then she realizes 
when she is, she's not feeling well, like one morning she keeps throwing up. So she goes to look for Pepto-Bismol and in the uh, search for it, she finds some tampons and does some quick math and realizes she should have gotten her period like a week ago and freaks out and then realizes that she has a baby in her that Edward put there. And <laughs> and she has this whole thing of like, well, I know it's impossible and I know pregnancy isn't this fast and I know it doesn't work this way. But also, what if it does work this way? <laughs> Which, like, I can't knock her because it turns out that it did work that way. Right. And so they, once Edward figures out, he's like so upset and he's like, we have to go home immediately, and we have to get rid of it. And she, he's so he's so upset that he's being sloppy and, like, leaves his phone where she can see it. So he, she takes it and calls Rosalie and is like, Rosalie, I need your help. Which, by the way, does that imply she was not able to be in contact with anybody except by using his phone? I feel like Who's it she implies that she and Rosalie don't care about each other, so they didn't have each other's Oh, numbers. okay. I guess that that's fair, actually. Like, yeah, why would she call Rosalie? Hmm. Yeah. But I don't um, think she's calling anybody else either anyway. Right. Although I would so, love to see the text between her and Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> oh, one thing I, d- I do want to dip real quick back to comparing this to the movie. The wedding scene in the movie is so much better than in the book. Because in the movie... Oh, it's funny. In the movie, it's funny. Jessica gives a really funny toast about how Bella's obviously pregnant. It's really good. Um, none, wow. of, none of that is in the book. Also, there's a song, there's an Iron and Wine song playing during the wedding scene that as it was playing, when we were watching it, the lyrics were happening and we were looking at each other like, what are these lyrics? And we Googled it and I was like, oh, it's Iron and Wine. Everything makes sense now. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably only funny if you've ever heard a single Iron and Wine song before. Um, Yeah. Anyway, moving on. We'll we'll post a link to the song. Yeah, what? which um, in past books, Rosalie's tragic backstory or whatever, uh, she really wants a baby, but she can't have one because she's a vampire. I guess that's yes. all. Uh, so after she calls Rosalie, we switch to Jacob's point of view. And Jacob's real sad. So sad. He's just, he's like, he never becomes human for very long anymore. It seems like he's just a wolf a lot. And when he is human, he's sad because... All of his friends have imprinted on people, uh, which if you'll recall, that's how a werewolf finds their mate for life. Like, this is a bad Harry Potter fan fiction. Um, They look at someone and they realize all of a sudden that, like, they're meant to be together forever and their whole worlds revolve around each other. It's not gravity keeping them on Earth anymore. It's that person. Um, by the way, I realized Jacob is like full on Wolverine sadness cave mode. He is. That's the only way to describe it. So like his one, another guy, all of his friends have imprinted, including we get to see like Quill, his BFF who imprinted on a toddler. Oh God. Uh, foreshadowing. <laughs> <laughs> that it's totally not creepy. It's totally fine and normal if you imprint on a baby. It's just something that happens, okay? And it's, like, it's not sexual. It's just, like, you just, like, want to protect them and help them grow up. And then I guess they turn 18 and it's, like, a switch is flipped and it is sexual. And that's probably not weird at all for the person. It's totally oh. fine and normal. It's totally... <laughs> it's not! <laughs> it's so weird! <laughs> 
But uh, the book really does want you to believe that it's not weird. But guys, it's weird. Yeah. So Jacob's all sad. Everybody's imprinted on people, including babies, but not him. Bella's gone away. And then one day uh, there's like a pack meeting or something. And uh, someone lets slip to, or no, they, they purposely bring up the fact that Charlie has called Billy, Jacob's dad, to complain that Bella got very sick on the honeymoon and he's been talking to her on the phone, but he can't go see her because she's contagious. And like, Jacob knows that this is it and he's filled with rage because Edward's going to turn into a vampire and he's never going to see her again and how dare he and he's going to rip him to pieces and the pack is going to take their revenge by murdering her, uh, murdering him. And Sam, who's the leader of the werewolf pack, is kind of like, well, here's the thing. That may be the letter of the treaty, but we feel like the spirit of the treaty uh, is not broken because Bella did choose to do this. Like, it's not like they went out and killed a random human. Bella kind of was like, please turn me into a vampire, bring it on. And we feel like that makes it okay as far as not murdering all of these people who we've kind of grown to tolerate goes. My notes for this section, by the way, say in all caps, this podcast makes me want Doritos too much, (laughs) which strikes me as really funny. And also it reminded me that I really want Doritos. (laughs) This podcast was not brought to you by Doritos. It was brought to you by Steaks and Cakes. Take a drink. Because <laughs> that's the thing about the werewolves is they're always hungry because werewolf metabolism. So they're always eating so much food. The vampires never make me hungry. Which, yeah, the werewolves have like high metabolism, right? So they got to eat all the time. Got to eat them Doritos. Yeah. And there's a great scene in one of the movies, I can't remember which one, where, like, they're hanging out at one of the werewolf houses, and one of the werewolf girlfriends or wives brings out this platter of giant muffins, and the muffins are all, like, as big as basketballs, and the platter is just gigantic, and I love it. I (laughs) want one. After this, let's go out and get Doritos and muffins. Yeah, like, that's the new steaks and cakes. <laughs> that's like the millennial steaks and cakes. <laughs> where did the avocados go? Um, like nowhere. They're disgusting. Yeah, we're like the two millennials who don't like avocados. <laughs> don't at me. Uh, you can probably get guacamole for the Doritos if you wanted, which I don't. Which I don't. <laughs> um. Yeah, so uh, Jacob's pretty pissed that Sam suddenly doesn't want to murder all of the vampires, and he goes to, like, sulk about it, like a mature adult. Like a mature wolf in his sadness cave. Yes. And, I don't know, something happens, and he goes over there, and he finds out that she's actually pregnant with, like, a monster baby, and he freaks out and he tells the tri- the rest of the, the, the pack find out via his thoughts or something. And they're all pissed. And they're like, that, though, that violates the treaty because that's a monster baby. Which uh, we so should interject that, like, 
most of the rest of the Collins kind of think that too. Like Edward and yeah. Carwell really wanted her to get a vampire abortion, but Bella was like, "No, I love this baby." And Rosalie's like, "I love babies, period." And so they kind of are protecting her from vampire abortion. Yeah, we find out here Bella tells Jacob that after she had called Rosalie, like, she acted like everything was fine on the plane. And then once the plane landed, like, the Cullens were there to meet them. And Bella just, like, ran to Rosalie. And Rosalie was like, you're not touching her. And everyone's real pissy now. Everyone else wants the baby to die. Uh, except possibly Alice, who gets, like, a headache when she's around Bella now. So she's hiding elsewhere. Can we talk about the viewpoint in this book? Because I guess when I started reading this, I was like, okay, this is kind of this weird thing where she's having this monster pregnancy, but it's at least interesting because she makes this conscious choice to keep it. But then we completely go out of her head before she's made that decision. And yeah, you're right. Yeah, so it's like as soon as she finds out she's pregnant, you were in Jacob's head. And then, you know, as you go along, you go through the whole pregnancy thing. And by the time you're really back in Bella's point of view, she's like getting vampired. And then she has the kid and everything turns out to be okay. And it's just such a strange, you know, decision because it's like she took the interesting conflict in the story and just kind of like glosses over it and i, I was a, <laughs> she took the interesting like, conflict and glossed over it colin well, the stephanie meyer story right right, right. Yeah, <laughs> it, that's certainly not the only time and i really felt like kind of when you get later in the book that was the point where I can really tell, okay, this is being written by a woman who's like probably what in her late thirties or forties by that point who like has kids already, yes. you know? And it's like, it's sort of like writing about motherhood from the point of view of somebody who has accepted motherhood as, you know, something that's important to her. And you really just miss Bella going from being this 18 year old girl who doesn't, who's having sex thinking there's no way she can get pregnant to suddenly she has to have the baby, even though this has never been a priority that we know about her at all. Right, and because that- because when she's begging to be a vampire really fast, that is something that comes up is Edward is like, you know, once you're a vampire, you can't have kids and you might want to have kids. And she's like, no, I just want to be with you. Right. I so also have- feel like this whole thing, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit, but I'm going to forget this point if I don't make it. I do feel like this is sort of like a mom's, fantasy of like i have this baby and the baby is perfect and it can talk almost immediately and i never need to sleep and i have 10 family members who always want to take care of the baby (laughs) and you know what i mean like i'm never exhausted from the baby waking me up because i'm an immortal vampire and i think does anybody ever have to change this child's diaper does that ever come up not once (laughs) renesmee's probably immediately toilet trained and i think it's does she even poop do we know (laughs) I'm sure and there's like a vampire. And vampires don't master's have- level thesis in here somewhere about the whole the whole sequence of events of her thinking she's she can't ever get pregnant and having sex and getting pregnant the first time and having the baby against the wishes of people around her and having it be such a painful, torturous process that it literally kills her slowly and graphically. Yes. And, and then her sacrifice you know, is rewarded. 
Yeah, but then yeah, on the like, other hand, the thing about her having the like deadly pregnancy is a little bit like she never she wanted she never wanted to stay mortal. She was planning on being turned into a vampire. So it's not quite you, you see what I'm saying? Like the like I mean she doesn't know 100% that it'll work, but she's not really giving anything up by giving up her mortality. But she, I mean, right, but she did suffer a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's less it's less like obviously we know she's going to survive if only because at that point when you're holding the book you're like there's 700 pages of this book left oh my um, god but like she goes like she is like tortured to skip ahead a little bit like the baby is breaking bones in her body is um jacob looks at her her um her stomach at one point and it's covered with what he first thinks are ink stains and realizes are bruises from every time the baby kicks her it, it is so hard that it bruises her through the inside to the outside everywhere the baby kicks. And she, like, like, she can't eat food anymore. She has to drink human blood because that's what the baby wants. She's like <laughs> wasting away before she starts drinking the blood. Her ribs break. Her pelvis breaks. I mean, I, I guess to be honest, you know, as somebody who's never had, never been pregnant, never going to have kids... I'm like, this is what everybody's pregnancy stories sound like to me. Anyway. <laughs> you know, you're kind of right. <laughs> so, I mean, I understand what you're saying. Like, if you think about, like, the specifics, you're like, and I think, but it's also partly because we're seeing this from the outside. Like, because it's always, it's, I mean, until that, like, moment of her getting turned, you're in Jacob's point of view. So it's still kind of this, yeah, I mean, we're seeing that she suffers, but like the, the I guess the degree between have, seeing somebody just going through a difficult pregnancy, especially the way they're often described in literature, you know, That's and a fair point. like this sort of, I don't know, maybe, may, maybe I'm just, but yeah, no, I mean, you're right. But I think it's sort of like, I mean, he it's super chews creepy. the baby out of her with his teeth. Yeah. <laughs> okay, you just really want to get to that. I mean, I literally just, like, went on Twitter while we were sitting down, and I found Nicole Cliff, who recently had, gave birth, like, talking about other people's childbirth stories. And this is what it all sounds like to me. Yeah, kind of same. Um, so, jumping back to Jacob's point of view, Edward is, like, trying to convince Bella to abort this monster fetus, and he's like, hey, Jacob, what about if, like, we just worked out an arrangement where, like, you could fuck my wife and give her, like, a half-werewolf baby? Yes! And that probably wouldn't kill her. And Jacob's like, oh, let me think about this. But <laughs> but Bella's not having it. But that is wild that it's in here at all as a, like, again, and this would happen no question in fan fiction, that is a fucking wild possibility to, to introduce in the middle of your YA novel. What I especially love about it is that the implication is that both of them would be cool with this. But it's just Bella's like, I don't really think about you that way. Like, I, Edward's my one true love that stops it. That if, if she had been like, oh, yeah, like, that actually sounds pretty good. They would have been like, all right, we're living this poly lifestyle now. Even and it would have been a very different book. Even though we know she thinks about Jacob that way because that was established in the previous book. But whatever. Well, it's also because she loves the baby so much. Right, right, right. And, and this is like, that's the other thing. Is like I don't know how much of whatever's going on with Bella in this period, particularly the part that's not in her viewpoint, 
is actually her and how much is like psychic Renesmee like vibes affecting her. Yeah. Like does what whatever happens to like I Bell's personality like goes away at some point and never really comes back. Which you know I guess was what having children does to you, right? Ooh, I didn't really mean that. <laughs> Sick burn, mom. <laughs> no, I meant it like, as a, like I meant it like as a in a like cultural you know trope. Yeah. Like, no, I mean yeah, you're right. Yeah, like when you're sort of like your identity becomes subsumed to your motherness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I think we can maybe burn pretty quickly through the rest of Jacob's thing. Like, because he wants to protect Bella and her dumb baby and the other werewolves want to kill the baby, Jacob realizes he can be the true alpha because he was supposed to be the true alpha, but he didn't want to be because he just wanted to eat Doritos and hang out with Bella. <laughs> Again, brought to you by Doritos. And... <laughs> He, uh, but he, like, has this, like, psychic battle of wills with the pack leader, and then it turns out he starts his own pack that's just him, and then Seth and Leah Clearwater also join him, which he doesn't want them to do, but they won't leave him alone. So the three of them start protecting Bella, and then the other werewolves are kind of like, well, we don't really want to fight you guys, but, like, And so they, the three of them are just, like, hanging around the Cullen house, and the Cullens are, like, feeding them and clothing them and like it's actually kind of cute like they're like we feel so bad that you're you know you can't go back to your homes because protecting us is protecting bella is so important to you have all the food that we're making you every day like sleep here everything will be it is it is kind of cute um but yeah so the three of them like kind of hold protect the the house and protect bella and them and then um one day Bella, like, at this point, like, she's got, like, four broken ribs and a broken pelvis, and she's walking back from the bathroom and uh, realizes, they realize that the her placenta has detached and the baby's suffocating. So she panics and starts, like, begging Edward to kill her to save the baby and turn her into a vampire. And they go through this incredibly graphic, like, several page long, very bloody scene in which they, like, the baby breaks her spine and is, like, clawing to get out. And Edward chews the baby out with his teeth. And it's, like, a whole... This was the one prior to starting this podcast. This was one of the two parts of Twilight that I had read. Because when this book came out, everyone was talking about this scene. And I was like, I have to see it. Uh, and I was working at a bookstore at the time. So I the next morning I came in after seeing everyone talking about it on the internet and read about him chewing the baby out of her uterus. When I've talked before in the podcast about how Twilight was such a big part of my Peace Corps experience, and like a bunch of us read the first book, but as you went up in the series, there were fewer copies available. And I think maybe Breaking Dawn had like just come out like while we were in country or shortly before. So there was only like one English language copy of Breaking Dawn to be had, maybe in the whole country. I don't know. So it was like very carefully passed around. So I got it ahead of a bunch of other people and I would just call them and read parts out loud to them to like share in the experience. And I definitely like read the birth scene over my like crappy government issued flip phone to friends. And it was just a really special experience. <laughs> uh, so the baby, com- the baby comes, the baby 
movie comes out and Jacob hates her immediately um, before he sees her. Because, like, this baby killed Bella. How dare it? It's a monster. He's going to murder it. And um, Edward injects some venom and morphine into Bella's heart. And they, like, do CPR to keep the blood flowing through her veins so that the venom will heal her. And he's so mad at this baby. And he goes to give the baby a piece of his mind or something. And he sees her. I mean, I think he genuinely does want to kill the baby. Like, literally wants to kill it. And he sees the baby and imprints on her immediately. And then we switch back to Bella's point of view. (laughs) Uh, I also would like to point out that Bella thought the baby would be a boy and the baby was going to be named EJ for Edward Jr. Or for Edward James almost. I thought it was for Edward Jacob. Oh, I like that. That probably is it. Oh, man. I don't know why I thought it was Junior. I wasn't I don't know this though. So I think it's because she says to Edward something like, oh, your father was Edward and his father was Edward or something like that. Uh, I think, though, maybe Edward James almost. Um, anyway, and then Jake Edward's like, what if it's a girl? And she's like, I was thinking Renezme. And he's like, yeah, totally. That's fine. It's not. But anyway, so then the baby's born and he's like, Bella, it's not it's not Edward. It's Renezme. And she's like, so happy. Um. Yeah, so we we switch to Bella's point of view here, and she's dead for a while, and we kind of get, like, the whole birth scene from her point of view, which is mostly, like, her being in pain interspersed with the dialogue from the previous scene. It's like a remix. Like, Stephanie Meyer remixed her own fanfiction about her own character. (laughs) Um, And she... Uh, then it's her turning and like she's in a ton of pain because it hurts so much but she doesn't want to move because she's afraid if she moves she won't be able to stop screaming but she wants to appear strong for Edward because she knows it will hurt him if he knows how much pain she's in or something there's a lot of that yeah it goes on for pages of her being unconscious and people being like how's she doing so she finally, like, wakes up, and there's... I mean, there's a lot of, like, oh, my God, I'm experiencing the world through new vampire eyes. Oh, my God, here's how hot Edward looks as a vampire. Oh, my God, <laughs> here's how this fancy silk dress feels against my vampire skin. Here's how chairs feel to vampires. It's a, like... <laughs> it's a lot of that. And there is, take a drink, a part where Alice brings a mirror out so she can look at her beautiful vampire self in the full-length mirror. And I kept being like, I was like, oh, she won't be able to see herself because she's a vampire. I'm like, no, that doesn't happen to me. No, Stephanie Meyer says, fuck you, vampire rules. Bella can admire herself in the mirror all she wants. (laughs) She's a strong, independent woman, and she's allowed to find herself beautiful. Now that she's no longer human. Yes. Because she does. Like, she goes from being like, I'm so boring and plain. How could anyone love me? To being like, wow, I'm banging. I am super hot now. Thanks, vampirism. So Edward's like, let's go hunting. And she's like, okay. And they're all, or Edward is stunned because, like, she hunts and she, like, eats a lion or whatever, a mountain lion. By the way, I I also would like to point out 
that Alice has given her her wardrobe for hunting, and she goes hunting in an ice blue silk evening gown. What? Yeah. That was weird. Like, I know Alice is obsessed with fashion and all that, and they're vampires, so whatever, but what are you even doing, Alice? I feel like Alice would have, like, fashionable sporting clothes, too, you know? Yeah. Did she play baseball in an evening gown? No, she had that cute pinstripe uh, ensemble. Anyway. Anyway. (laughs) Um, While they're hunting, there are some hikers, and Bella's like, ooh, hikers, and goes after them. But Edward's like, no, Bella, you can't. And she, like, is like, oh, shit, you're right, and holds her nose and runs away. And she feels so bad that this happened. But, like, when she tells the other vampires, they're like, oh, my God, like, you showed so much restraint. I can't believe it. Like, any other vampire would have murdered those hikers. And you turned away. And she's like, yeah, but I wanted to murder them. And they're like, but that's not the same thing. And she growled at Edward and she feels terrible about it. Yeah. Um, So then she wants to see the baby. So they bring her to Jacob first, and she thinks that it's a test because the baby's half human. That, like, oh, like, they're going to have her in front of a human and make sure that she's safe and she doesn't attack him. And as long as she does that, like, she can go see the baby. I think that is also a concern. It's just not the only concern. Yeah, Um, And it's definitely a concern, but she thinks that the other vampires are the ones who are the main people putting this forward. And then she discovers that actually Jacob was the one who insisted on it. And she's like, okay, like, whatever. And then when she, like, goes in to see the baby, Jacob's like, really, like, don't get too close. And she's like, wow, he's really sure he's really tuned into the fact that I'll be very upset if I murder my child. Like, that's good of him i guess and then as she goes to hold him and jacob starts to get like uh, hold her and jacob starts to get real nervous uh she finds out what happened with jacob imprinting on her newborn and this is another scene that is 900 times funnier in the movie (laughs) yeah because i mean because she's furious and it's, it's ridiculous. It's fucking ridiculous. He wants to fuck that baby. And it's not okay. <laughs> and at least the movie addresses, like, with humor, like, how fucking ridiculous being, like, and this 16-year-old boy is in love with this baby now. Do you guys think, do you guys think some of the other werewolf soulmates were aborted and that's why not every werewolf imprint? <laughs> wow. there's not enough babies to go around. <laughs> Okay, if you ever get to meet Stephanie Meyer, that is a question you need to ask her. Is she on Twitter? I'll tweet at her. <laughs> if only. Um, yeah, so she's real pissed about that. Especially because, um, in addition to the fact that he wants to fuck her baby, uh, she's been unconscious for three days, so like she hasn't had time to bond with her baby yet and here's you know her friend who's like oh like i'm in love with your baby now i know everything about her i'm the one who knows her best while you were unconscious and it's like this second level of like how dare someone else know my baby better than i do type of thing this is more of where I felt like I could, this felt like this was written by somebody who was already a parent and maybe 
for people who are already parents because there's no like transition, you know, to Bella getting to that point about she's just like mom right away, you know, and there's nothing. I don't know. It just well, it, 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 her baby does have mutant powers. Well, right. Oh, okay. Sure, sure. sure. <laughs> and I'm, like, I'm not saying people don't like love their newborn babies or whatever, <laughs> but I feel like there's something about that identity of a, of being a mother that I think there should be some dissonance there. You know, if you're actually talking about Bella as, um, you know, as a character with a viewpoint, which, again, she becomes less and less of as the story goes on. Babies. Are they lovable? Let's investigate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm not sure I can speak to this not being a mother. I like babies. I mean, because that's certainly that's and, you know, who knows how much of this is culture of culture being like, this is what you're supposed to feel. But, you know, I am told that that is sort of what happens is they hand you frequently, not always, but Uh frequently they hand you a baby and you're like, well, shit, this thing came out of me and I love Uh it more than anything. And I would murder a werewolf to protect this. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, I guess I mean, because like that process was disrupted for her, you know, like there should be some like. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe what it really feels like is that a werewolf is is messing with your with your chance to bond. So maybe that. Um, but like Renata said, the baby does have mutant powers, as all vampires do. No, um, only the very best vampires. Only the very yeah. very best vampires. Because like Emily and you're worthless. A fake Twilight fangirl. Um, <laughs> the baby can like they call it like the reverse of Edward's power. She can communicate with her mind, like, send images to your mind from her mind as, like, a communication thing. Um, And she chose Bella when she first sees Bella after she's a vampire. Um, The only image she has of Bella, which is um, her being pulled away from Bella after being put in her arms for the first time, and she kind of shows it to her as a sort of, like, look, like, I've made the connection that you're my mom, and you were that woman there, and you're this woman here, and I'm excited to meet you again. Because also, like, the baby, like, looks like it's already a couple months old. Which, yes. I don't know why Bella's so surprised, considering her entire pregnancy took, like, two and a half weeks. <laughs> right, that right. seems, like, it seems, yeah. And, um... This is where we also have the theory that the love triangle was actually just Bella's role as like mother of his of his imprinty was really what drew Jacob to her, which is weird. Yeah, it was never Bella at all. It was the fact that he knew there was something special about Bella, and it was because he, he deep inside he knew that she was the mother of his future baby he was gonna fuck he imprinted oh, on God. her he imprinted on her eggs <laughs> maybe uh at, um so the Volturi send a wedding gift and or maybe that happened earlier at the wedding anyway the Volturi no it's Irina Irina comes that who is one of the Alaskan vampire friends oh right right yeah and she comes yeah. and she sees Renesme at a distance and she's like, oh shit, and it, it's an immortal child who in the narrative we previously had gotten a very helpful info dump from Carlisle that immortal children are when a vampire makes a vampire out of a baby, he, like takes a baby human, bites it, makes a vampire baby. And they were fucked up because they never age, so they're just always babies. And so they never learn to like control their impulses and they'll just like... They'll just, like, kill you because they're a baby. 
with vampire powers. So they made this big rule of like, oh, you can't do this anymore. Like, no immortal children is like the biggest law of the Volturi. And so she's... Oh, and Irina's... Irina's vampire mom, I think, made an immortal child and was killed because of that? Yes, yes. She had made one and... But she hadn't told Irina or the other vampire girls who are Irina's sisters, so they were spared. But they had to watch their mother and the immortal child burn to death. So Irina's like, I know what this shit is. Bye. And she goes to tell the Volturi. And then so... Oh, and Alice has a vision... That the Volturi are coming to to end them because they made this immortal child, except they didn't because Renesmee, of course, is a half-human child. Very different. And Alice's vision says they'll come when the first snow falls, which is not a date you can put in your Google calendar. No. It's pretty vague. So, <laughs> anyway, then they start, like, assembling the vampire Avengers, which is, like... Amazing. It's a great like concept it's um it's such a shaky plan because they're like because Renesme grows so fast that they're like well if they come and hang out with us at like vampire summer camp they'll see how fast she grows and then they can tell the Volturi it's just a misunderstanding she's not an immortal child she's she's just a half vampire baby totally fine and then they're like, it's not going to be, like, a big fight, though. We don't want it to be a fight. But just in case, let's only ask our friends who also have cool powers to come. So it'll be, like, a cool <laughs> fight. Just in case it's a fight. But it's totally not a fight. Spoiler. There will never be a fight. <laughs> so then they're, like, picking up. If this like, was a normal book, you would think, oh, all these people being assembled with good fighting powers is actually building up to there being a big fight. And take no. a drink. Take a drink, because in the movie, it's yes. rad. Because in the movie, you see this awesome fight. It's so cool. You see all the powers. You see Carla get beheaded, like, immediately and graphically. You see <laughs> all this shit going down. And then it pulls back, and it reveals that that was only a vision that Alice had, and it wasn't real. <laughs> and then, so we still have the, like, resolution of, like, oh, there's no fight, and everything's chill. But you did get to, like, for a minute, enjoy this vampire fight on the screen. And that it's does so not good. happen in the book. <laughs> oh, man. No. The, the book is, like, it is... And, and I think this is what we mean by saying, like, nothing happens in this book. Because there is a plot. Like, there are events that happen, obviously. And some of them are, like, large, weighty things. But things that you think... It's like... I'm, I'm not... I'm not saying words good. It's like, you know, you think that there should be a fight. There should be something. There's a conflict. It should be resolved in some way. Like, it feels like it's building up to this. And then in the end, it's just like, oh, okay. Yeah. I I literally, I remember when I got to the point when I first read this where Jacob, like, imprints on Renesmee. And I was like, I, I had heard about this. Like, I'd had this all summarized for me. I'm like, I, how is there still half of a book left? What is this? And it just keeps going, and you're like, okay, well, maybe it's going to be building up to this fight, but there's no fight. Well, we also had to have their sex honeymoon. Right, right, right. And they're, like, running away plans, and their little house that they live in now. And And also getting Charlie in on the secret. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Through an amazing scene that, in the movie, we get to see it happen, and it rules, and in the book, we only hear Bella hearing how it happened. 
And there's no reason that they could not have like moved things around and fit that in to the part that's in Jacob's point of view, which is where Jacob just decides to turn into a werewolf in front of Charlie. And so he starts taking his clothes off and Charlie's like, whoa, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) And Jacob's like, don't worry. I'm only into babies, not adult (laughs) men. (laughs) And then he turns into a werewolf and then he's like, Charlie, like there's weird shit in the world. And Charlie's like, oh boy. And so, because he's not allowed to actually tell the truth, but he's just like, so you need to understand that something happened to Bella, and it's kind of like this, but it's not this exactly, but, you know, it's weird, and Charlie's like, okay, I guess. And that's like, again, like, that's another thing that you would think that that would be a thing that happens in this book, but no, it's a thing that we're told about happening. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's so, it's so upsetting. Can, can we talk about the lawyer? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Am I skipping ahead? I mean, I mean not- at this point, we're all just kind of like... We're just saying things that we that happened. Because I just thought... Because there's this, this whole, like, sort of pointless, like, diversion where Alice has run away and made Bella think that Bella is going to have to rescue Renesmee and Jacob. And she goes to see a lawyer in Seattle to get illegal papers um, and the lawyer is like scared of them because I guess Jasper has been coming to see him for 20 years and not getting any older. And then I just really was thinking this lawyer, if only they had involved this lawyer in sex paperwork. Oh my God, yes. Also, the scene <laughs> true, in the true. book with the lawyer, it's so convoluted and she has to go between different offices and like explain. And it's like too much detail. But uh-huh. reading it now after having read The Chemist, which is Stephanie which Myers. I- middle of reading i forgot you guys had done an episode on it until i started list started reading it and i was like this sounds very familiar <laughs> well so also, I, we need to drink for sex paperwork and also now for the chemist yes Yay. yes well but so i do feel like this scene with jay jinx the lawyer is sort of the root of stephanie meyer being like i want to write this kind of like home alone identity thriller where like we just see all of this pointless detail about how hard it is to be anonymous and i think that that's kind of what she was toying with here with well it's also she was probably in like born identity fandom by that point right right yeah isn't that where the chemist came from yes yes yeah so it's like here's how you get a paper here's how you get a passport and here's like paperwork and here's i have a different name for different offices so depending what name you use i know like what kind of thing that you want and it's so much of this and it's like in the movie like she goes out to dinner they have kind of an awkward conversation he gives her an envelope and bella is like okay cool i thought there would be one for me and she's like he's like oh no it's just for the werewolf and your baby bye and (laughs) and in this the thing that is interesting i think in the book is that in the book, Bella's the one who realizes, like, oh, if shit goes down, I gotta just send the baby off with Jacob because, like, they're not gonna let us werewolves live, but Jacob could probably, like, slip away in the werewolf fight or in the vampire fight. And in the movie, Alice decides for her and Bella's kind of, like, surprised and hurt by it. Yeah, it's 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 all very... Com- but the great thing about the movie is that the lawyer is bunk from The Wire, which is really exciting to me. Yes. And I really wanted a whole story about him, the the vampire lawyer. Uh, the lawyer for vampires, not vampire lawyer. Not <laughs> like I, Carlisle is a vampire doctor. I would so read a series of books about the lawyer for vampires. Okay, speaking of, speaking of, because I don't think we have talked enough about Leah Clearwater... 
Oh, we haven't. Did and she I go to law school? Because she doesn't really get to. She's the girl in the vampire pack. And what I just like to imagine is that Leah is actually the hero or heroine of a completely different series that we never see. Oh, and yes. And this is just like her like crossover with like the sort of stupid, you know, sister series. So just imagine that there's a series <coughs> that's all about Leah. Where Leah gets whatever she wants, and Sam is just her dumb ex-boyfriend, and Jacob is just the dumb pack leader, and she's off to do, like, awesome things after this. They did make an announcement, I think, maybe, was it, like, Summit? Like, somebody who has some kind of stake in Twilight is like, we're not done making Twilight stories, we're gonna make some more movies. And I know it's not gonna be any of the stuff that we want it to be. Right, right, right. But what if it is? You don't think it'll be about the lawyer for vampires? (laughs) But what if it is, though? <laughs> it'll be like it'll be yeah it'll be like Angel where like the you know they go off to the to Seattle and Mr. Jenks the lawyer for vampires is the protagonist and then Leah is his like plucky secretary and then just they have like awesome adventures with all the vampires who go to the city and don't bother hanging around forks. I was gonna say it's like Daredevil where you're like uh, just go back to your law office, Matt. <laughs> no one asks for no one asks for this nighttime stuff. It's so boring because he never goes back to his law office. He's always punching ninjas in hallways. It never ends. The hallways are so long, and there are so many ninjas in them. Wow. Yeah. So what we want? We want more paperwork, uh, sex, and regular types. We want more lawyers. Uh, less less ninjas in hallways. Okay, okay. So what about like Alistair, who's like the sad British dude who's in love with Carlisle? <laughs> yes. Can we Wh- get his? Story? What about him? Oh yeah. Well, he could be um like a featured arc on the show. Like I imagine uh-huh. he would maybe come and have some documents he need to get in order. <laughs> I don't and know. Hopefully, he can find like a nice love interest who's not like a self righteous whatever Carlisle is. Or maybe it's like the Wonder Woman movie where it starts off with like uh, Jay Jenks. He's like, I found this old photograph you wanted, Alistair. And Alistair's like, let me have a flashback about how it's a photograph of Carlisle. <laughs> Amazing. Did you, Did you guys see that post on Tumblr that was like, whenever there's a flashback, I think that that, I imagine the person sitting there in that position for the length of the flashback. So Wonder Woman <laughs> It's just like her sitting at the desk staring into space for two and a half hours. <laughs> I mean, it's the only difference from is in, in reality she would be refreshing Tumblr while that was happening. <laughs> um, but not to drag away from the excellent potential paperwork sequels to Twilight. Um, on the topic of Leah Clearwater, circling back around to the motherhood thing that we were oh, discussing yes. earlier. One of the things that that comes up with Leah is that she's complaining because, like, the boy werewolf, she's the only girl girl werewolf, and the boys are always very, like, very typical straight man skittish, or or man in general, uh, cis man skittish about when she's thinking about, like, quote-unquote female stuff, uh, including when she had, like, this whole freak out because she realized that uh, her period had stopped, which means that she can't have children now that she's a werewolf. And, like, it was very upsetting to her, and it's especially, so it's especially, like, extra upsetting to her that, like, now 
Bella gets to be a mother, and then Rosalie as well, like, all she wanted was to be a mother. Uh, Esme had wanted to have children, and she sort of got to, like, adopt these vampire children that Carlisle brought to her. But Bella, who's, like, one of the only main female characters in the series who is very, prior to this, very clear that she does not want children and does not care about children, uh, actually does get to become a mother, and none of the other women do, and they're all very jealous of her. Uh, well, Esme, we get less of that, of the uh, like outright jealousy, the way that we get it from Rosalie and Leah. Uh, and I don't really know where I'm going with this, but it is an interesting point for us to ponder on now that we're several drinks into the night. <laughs> well, and, and then the other like mother in the stories, right, is Renee, who doesn't ever want to behave like a mother. There's a, yeah. isn't there? There's even a place where where. Bella's like, oh, Renesmee was comforting me the way I used to do to my mom or something like that. That was sort of a... Yeah, because Bella always felt like she was more her own mother than Renee was her mother. Uh-huh. And so, and then she gets this child who grows up in, like, three weeks and so doesn't actually need that much... I mean, you know, she'll need some, like, emotional support, but she doesn't need the kind of, like, hard physical work of, like diaper changing and like breastfeeding and like whatever for very long at all yep yeah guys i want to talk about vampire renata okay please talk about vampire renata guys there's a vampire named renata there is (laughs) that's my name i didn't remember this and i must have like first read this before i ever met you and i haven't gone back and reread it and it's been a while she's she's barely in this but she's stuck out for obvious reasons there's not very she's got pretty cool power yeah there's not very many fictional renatas but this one she's a vampire and her vampire gift is she can just like send people away from her like, it didn't even sound so much it was like it was a force field, and she would just make people, like, want to walk away from her. Which is, like, I would love that. <laughs> like, I'm, like, on the bus, and somebody comes up to me, I'm just like, nope. You go to the other end of the bus. <laughs> um. Anyway, so, but she's one of the Volturi guards, because that power makes it easy for her to, like, push people away from a fight. She's just like, go, bye. That's like, I don't know. I mostly, I just wanted to make sure we got it on record that there is a vampire named Renata. That's excellent. There's a watch company named Renata, too. I know. Because when I was a kid, I was really bummed because you couldn't get stuff with my name pre-printed on it. You know, like a keychain or a mug or whatever. So my parents bought me a watch battery. (laughs) I'm sorry, what? They bought me a watch battery because the battery (laughs) company, like the package said Renata because that was the company. (laughs) But like the actual watches were too expensive? Well, I'm not sure that they may. I think maybe they're a battery company. (laughs) A watch battery (laughs) company? Okay, I'm I'm Googling your name. Take a drink. I believe it's, I believe it's (laughs) Renata.com. Yeah, when you Google Renata, watch it autofills battery, and they are a comprehensive assortment of over 40 different watch battery types. Hell yeah. Wow. <laughs> Sexy. I, also, when I was a kid, Caitlin wasn't on anything, which is funny because, like, it was one of, like, the top ten names the year that I was born. 
But I guess these things are just like 10 to 15 years behind the times. Because when I was little and I wanted shit with my name printed on it, I couldn't find it anywhere. And when I could, it was very exciting and very rare. And then like 10 to 15, 15 to 20 years later, they started actually putting Caitlyn spelled the way that I spell it on things. And my aunt started buying me shit with Caitlyn on it and my parents too. So now I'm 30 and I have pencils and like tissues and shit with Caitlyn on it spelled the correct way. And I wish I could say that I was like, did not feel like a, a a spark of pride at seeing this but that's not true all right well some of us Amazing. just have to be content with watch batteries and extremely minor vampires <laughs> <laughs> anyway there's there's a bunch of other vampires make sure you link to renato watch batteries in the show notes. maybe they'll Please. be our sponsor by the way for real though uh, ModCloth is sponsoring the Throwing Shade podcast now, and I'm furious about it. We deserve that sponsorship. We do. We wrap clothes literally all the time. I'm Everyone wearing ModCloth right now. Oh, we should blur this out because they're not paying us. <laughs> I'm oh, I'm wearing Doritos and Renata Watch batteries right now. <laughs> Wow. Oh boy. Um, so Renata is just one of the many vampires in this. You can collect the whole squad. Um, we do have, it is just like a montage of like, I'm Garrett and this is my vampire power and I'm Shoban and my vampire power is The Secret. Which is. Wait, what, how did you just pronounce that name? Shoban? Shoban? I thought that was it. Okay, it's the name that is S I O B H A N. I know. Don't you live in Boston? You've never met a Siobhan? What? Well, I mean, in her defense, she's only lived in Boston for less than a year. How did I say that? <laughs> okay. Okay. Siobhan? Siobhan. It's, a, it's a pretty common Irish name. I, I We're saying it with more of a V than a B sound. Siobhan. Yeah. Instead of Siobhan. Yeah. I barely hear a difference. <laughs> okay. Okay, I'm sorry. I would not have done that if I wasn't drunk. It's not like I said Siobhan. <laughs> which I'm going to now just out of spite. <laughs> it's funny, though, because, like, this works so well in the movie. Like, in the movie, it's literally just a montage of, like, oh, yeah. them being like, here's our baby. Is Tommy Malik one of them? I don't know who that is. He's, he's the guy oh, with I the robot. Do. I do! Oh, yes, that he's... Is the guy. Who's going to be Freddie Mercury? Yes. Uh, yeah, no, he's very attractive. Yes, but I primarily know him as Vampire Benjamin. <laughs> okay. Oh, right. Benjamin the Elemental, who, like, has the weird fight with his pseudo-dad, with Carlisle. Yeah. Yes. And he's he's Mr. Robot, right? Because we kept calling yeah. him, you kept calling him Mr. Robot yeah. when we were watching the movie. Yes, he is Mr. Robot. He is Mr. Robot, yes. He's also seen in Need for Speed, the movie. Oh, wow. wow. He takes wow. all his clothes off in an elevator for no reason. It's a great <laughs> film. <laughs> Let's take a drink. <laughs> Did you just compare this movie to Need for Speed? <laughs> Need for Speed, the movie. Yes, I did. Oh, man. I'm looking. I'm now looking at... at I'm now looking at Benjamin, like, the pictures of him. And despite, like, being from Egypt, like, which seems like a warm weather climate, he has these amazing scarves. Well, they were those. 
Like Middle Eastern, he has like the Middle Eastern like. I guess, loose but I mean, it kind of looks like a cold weather scarf. I don't know. Well, maybe it's also he's a vampire, so it does not matter. <laughs> right, so, so, but he shouldn't be cold. Okay, anyway. Well, I think for the I look. Was, yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, it's a good look. It's a good look. And, and then, he's like, doing his, it for the aesthetics. Right, and his like girlfriend is like trying to feel him up like in frame, so it's interesting. Okay, go go ahead. It's gone. It was a joke, and it's so far past now that I'd be embarrassed to say it. So let's Wait, go. What was the joke? I do want to shout out that we one of our earliest episodes uh, later than Twilight, but earliest was we read the novelization of Need for Speed the movie. Oh, I do remember that. So we have done multiple Mr. Robot tie-in properties. <laughs> but anyway, we got distracted um, because I guess I'm pronouncing Syobin incorrectly, but. <laughs> I don't hear a difference. Syobin's power is literally the secret. Like, when she visualizes things, they happen. (laughs) Uh, And there's a bunch of other ones, also. Wow. Watch the movie if you want to see that montage, though. Yeah, no, it's good. I need to rewatch those. I enjoyed, but I didn't even... For some reason, I'm a patron, but I did not get y'all's movie podcast for Twilight. So I need to go find that because obviously I'm into it. It's uh, Thank you for that plug. It's only on Patreon.com. If you're logged in and you see it, I think it's still the most recent post there. Okay. Uh, and I'll you, find it. Yeah, you I'll have to listen it. to it through I'm Patreon it. for now. I'm into it. I genuinely like the first movie and the last two movies. The other two you can just skip, I think. <laughs> That's all. Yeah. I mean, I enjoyed them. Does this movie have any more plot? This book? Well, then, um, I mean, there's a bunch more vampire squad assembling. Then it is the, oh, and by the way, throughout this, Alice and Jasper are missing and no one knows where they are. And Bella is a little afraid that maybe they just ditched them because she was afraid or, like, she knew that the Volturi would kill them and she didn't want to, like, die with them or whatever. But then it's the first snowfall day and the Volturi come and they are all, like, assembled, and they're, like, Carl, like, Edward's, like, oh, I can tell they're nervous because they're not used to seeing so many vampires, and, oh, and the Volturi, there's some kind of garbage in here about, like, whether or not the Volturi are actually good or if they're evil, and because they're supposed to be sort of, like, the police, but we all know, like, fuck the police, right, guys? <laughs> fuck but, the Volturi. But not all the police, or not all the vampires know this. And so, because they're like, oh, well, their rulings are, like, what we have to live by, whatever. And the Collins are like, yeah, but they're always trying to, like, steal the vampires with good powers for their squad. And anyway, so the Volturi come, and they read the minds, and they see Renesmee, and they're like, oh, ho, ho, just a misunderstanding. She's not an immoral child. She's a, a half-human, half-vampire. That's totally different. Okay. Why wasn't this just a phone conversation? Because they're fucking drama queens. <laughs> and also, I guess they would want to see her. I don't know. Yes, but there's just no they reason that Skyped. this had to be this big thing. But it's just, like, a misunderstanding. Yeah. Also, the Volturi are, like, super old-fashioned. Do they even have phones? Oh, maybe. No, because they have that, oh. like, office building. They have, like, the secretary. <laughs> <laughs> who arranges for the tourists who get eight. Okay, I do remember that. That's awesome. I don't so, know if you remember if that's in the movie or the book, but it's amazing. It's definitely in the movie. It's probably in the book, too. But anyway, they could have left a message with her, at least. It's but they didn't. Thing. They came to Forks on the day no of the first sense. snowfall. 
That's all. Makes no sense. No, nothing. Nothing. Um, so they come to Forks. They're like, oh, it was just a misunderstanding. But actually, we don't know what happens with a Volturi, or we don't know what happens with a vampire hybrid. So we better just, like, kill her anyway, just to be safe. And everyone's like, no, boo, hiss. And then, um, Alice shows up and Jasper, they show up and they're like, hang on, we found this other human vampire hybrid. What's up? Um, also, throughout this, Bella has been worried that, like, oh, Renesmee is growing so fast. What if she just dies in, like, five years because she's aged to, like, 80 so fast? And then I'll live forever without my beautiful daughter. And then, because they haven't known what would happen. And then Alice has this, like, 150-year-old half-vampire, half-human um, hybrid who, it turns out, he aged to around 18 and then in, like, physical pres- presentation i guess and then just like got froze there so they're like oh it's great news because renesme will live forever but not get old and gross and also look Volturi, this guy's chill so you don't have to kill renesme and they're like um well but we just like wanted to though and then they um like the other good oh what Sorry, I just realized that at the beginning, so at the beginning, when they're on their honeymoon, there's this housekeeper who is, like, real pissed at Edward because she's, like, in Portuguese, like, I know you're a vampire, and that's a human lady, and you're going to eat her. And in Portuguese, he's like, no, I'm not. Like, she's my wife. This is all on the up and up. And then later, when she sees Bella's pregnant, like, she freaks out in Portuguese. And then Edward says this other language that Bella doesn't understand, like, oh, like, other stuff. And then she says other stuff in, in response. And then Bella's like, what was that about? And she was like, he's like, oh, well, in she's from, like, a local indigenous tribe and they have seen like this happen before like ladies get pregnant with vampires and then they die and the babies die and everything's the worst so just so you know we need to murder your child and that's what makes her call rosalie and be like edward wants to murder my baby and here like this this vampire from south america and then like the lady from brazil and the indigenous like it's all connected i got it oh i'm an adult woman who can read a book and understand what words mean and how things relate to each other (laughs) so awesome i realized i do they what happened to the voltori at the end of this they just go away they just so they're still like out there and they're still like nominally in charge of the vampire world they don't so they don't really have a vampire resistance. No. Yeah, no, there should be. That's the next. I mean, there's definitely, like, exposition at the end that is very much like, if I was going to write more books in this universe, this is what they would be. Because she sets the whole thing up with, like, Arrow being a liar and a stealer or whatever. Stealer. Thief. But A, a um, thief? A thief. Thief chief. I'm saying chief with no H in it. Out of respect to Gambit. <laughs> <laughs> okay, out of respect to Gambit. Those are words that you got often. <laughs> Nothing but respect for my president. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing but respect for my leader of the Teeves Guild. <laughs> yeah, anyway. So, but yeah, they, I mean, there's a whole like, oh, there's a reveal that Ara is not really in it for pure reasons. He's just stealing people's powers, but nothing really happens. So, 
Yeah. Is is Ara the Michael Sheen one? Yes. There's a really good part where he is just like artifice. I love Michael Sheen so much. <laughs> He's such a great everything. Uh, if you're wondering how much I've had to drink, I'm laughing pretty significantly at my own impression of Michael Sheen. <laughs> <laughs> but it was great. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, so the Volturi just go away. There is some kind of, like, Adventure Zone type shit where they're like, but the real power is of our, our bonds between each other as a coven. And then there's this vampire named Chelsea, which is not a good name for a vampire. But Chelsea's... It's so bad. Chelsea... Oh, and we forgot to talk about Bella's power. But Chelsea's power is that she can, like, sever a bond between two people and make you, like, not oh, yeah. care about each other. But Bella's power, it turns out, is that she's a shield. So she, so that's when Edward couldn't read her mind and all this stuff. And then they kind of have to go back and forth about, like, well, how come some stuff works on Bella and some doesn't? And it's really just because Stephanie Meyer wanted it that way. But there's some sort of distinction between, like, mental and physical and then also emotion. Anyway. There's so much stuff that's, like, just exposited in, like, the last third of this book that it's, like, oh, somebody on the internet told Stephanie Meyer she was doing this wrong. Like, yeah. the thing about, oh, they're not really werewolves, they're shapeshifters. But we totally have real werewolves in this world, you just won't get to meet them. Also, close your ears if you haven't listened to the Adventure Zone yet. Also, I can't believe their ship was powered by friendship and found families. Well, it's a good thing Chelsea wasn't fucking their cake. She would have fucked it up. Oh, but it was so good. It made me so happy. It was so good. Anyway. It was so good. I, yeah, I listened to some of that and I didn't understand it. So. Oh, no. Well, don't worry about it. Um, uh, so Belle's power is she's a shield and there's, she's included in the montage of her learning how to stretch this power out and she can like shield everybody. And so yeah. none of the other powers affect any of them. Um, including, like, uh, Dakota Fanning's power of causing pain and, like, all this other stuff. Doesn't hurt them. So that's cool. And then they win, and the Volturi go away, and they don't have Vampire Revolution, but they should have. And it's just like, oh, we're so happy, we're so happy forever. And the icing on our happiness cake is that Bella learns also how to take the shield off of herself so that she can share her thoughts with Edward. And she gives him, like, a clip reel of their relationship via telepathy or whatever. And it, again, to take a drink, because I'm going to talk about the How Does This Get Made episode that I loved. Doug Benson says that her true power is scrapbooking. <laughs> and it That's not wrong. Yeah, true. which also kind of is Renesmee's power, I guess. But so she just, like, is like, here's when we met in the meadow. See how I remember it? Duh. And then they're all so happy, and Renesmee's going to grow up in, like, seven years, and then um, Jacob can fuck her. The end. <laughs> The end. <laughs> the end to reading Twilight books. Okay, Thank you know God. what? I believed that. I was like, I was so happy I'm done. But then like the other day I was out in the resistance knocking on some doors and we ran into somebody's house who had a little free library in front of it. And they had the short second life of Brie Tanner in there, which is Stephanie Meyer's own fan fiction about Eclipse. So yeah, um, I. 
I did know that was out there. We can talk about this later or maybe put it up to a poll or something. I don't know uh, if that's worth reading, if that's going to be. I don't know if it's worth reading, but I got it for free. Oh, great. It might be so. a Patreon, maybe. Oh, yeah. Support us on Patreon. We'll read some more vampire shit for you. Mm. <laughs> okay. I think we said all the plot things. If not, who cares? Does anybody else have anything to say before we move on to dramatic readings? Nope, sounds good. Cool. Uh, I don't think They all so. lived happily ever after. They all lived ex- the most happiest ever afterest forever. And ever. And Jacob's gonna fuck that baby. Jacob's gonna <laughs> fuck that baby. And there's a part where Edward's like, I'm impressed. I was reading Jacob's mind and he's actually not thinking about fucking that baby. <laughs> He doesn't say it exactly that, but that's the sentiment of it, and it's wild. Wow. Anyway, dramatic readings. Our first one is actually just me and Carrie, and it's some of the real shady science of vampire pregnancy and all of this. And Carrie will be Carlisle, Dr. Vampire Vampire Doctor, and I'll be Jacob. Okay, so this is me starting. I am Carlisle, who's also Dr. Vampire, Vampire Doctor. (laughs) I wish I could get a better idea of what exactly it is. The fetus is well protected. I haven't been able to produce an ultrasonic image. I doubt there is any way to get a needle through the amniotic sac, but Rosalie won't agree to let me try in any case. A needle? What good would that do? The more I know about the fetus, the better I can estimate what it will be capable of. What I wouldn't give for even a little amniotic fluid if I knew even the chromosomal count. You're losing me, Doc. Can you dumb it down? (laughs) Okay. How much biology have you taken? You've graduated from high school, by the way. Um, How much biology have you taken? Did you study chromosomal pairs? think so. We have 23, right? Humans do. How many do you have? 25. I frowned at my fists for a second. What does that mean? I thought it meant our species were almost completely different. Less related than a lion and a house cat. But this new life, well, it suggests that we're more genetically compatible than I thought. (sighs) I didn't know to warn them. I sighed, too. It had been easy to hate Edward for the same ignorance. I still hated him for it. It was just hard to feel the same way about Carlisle. Maybe because I wasn't ten shades of jealous in Carlisle's case. It might help to know what the count was, whether the fetus was closer to us or to her, to know what to expect. And maybe it wouldn't help anything. I guess I just wish I had something to study, anything to do. I wonder what my chromosomes are like, I muttered randomly. I thought of those Olympic steroids tests again. Did they run DNA scans? Carlisle coughed self-consciously, the narration tells us. You have 24 pairs, Jacob. I turned slowly to stare at him, raising my eyebrows. He looked embarrassed. I was curious. I took the liberty when I was treating you last June. I thought about it for a second. I guess that should piss me off, but I don't really care. I'm sorry, I should have asked. It's okay, Doc. You didn't mean any harm. No. I promise you that I did not mean you any harm. It's just that I find your species fascinating. I suppose that the elements of vampiric nature have come to seem commonplace to me over the centuries. Your family's divergence from humanity is much more interesting. Magical, almost. Bibbidi-bobbidi-boo. 
I mumbled. He was just like Bella with all the magic garbage. <laughs> Carla Carl laughed another laugh. weary laugh. <laughs> another weary <period> laugh. <laughs> also, like, we <laughs> should drink for Jacob saying garbage. Garbage. <laughs> I. I just, I love to refer to that scene because it's like one of those like completely unnecessary fake science explanations. And then I try to say, oh yeah, it's like in Twilight when they talk about werewolf chromosome. And then people just kind of look at me and they're like, oh, it's like the midocloridians with the force in Star Wars. (laughs) But I like my example better. It is very apt to the right audience, which is us. I feel, I feel, yeah. Somebody, like, y'all appreciate it, and I feel like the audience for this podcast appreciates it. As I finish this bottle of champagne. Girl! (laughs) Awesome. I mean, that's not, that's kind of normal for me. Okay, what do you like to do tomorrow, Kate? Nothing. Okay. And I'm not going to get hungover from one bottle of champagne. Okay. (laughs) This isn't like that time I drank like two thirds of a bottle of rum. It's very different alcohol content. <laughs> good, good, good. Well, let's on that note, let's move on to our next dramatic reading, which is some of the birth scene, which is okay. very long, and so this is not all of it. So Carrie's Bella, I'm Edward, and Kate's Jacob, who is also the narrator. I wheeled back to the operating table where Bella was turning blue, her eyes wide and staring. CPR? Yes. I judged his face swiftly, looking for any sign that he was going to react like Rosalie. There was nothing but single-minded ferocity. Get her breathing. I've got to get him out before... Another shattering crack inside her body, the loudest yet. So loud that we both froze in shock, waiting for her answering shriek. Nothing. Her legs, which had been curled up in agony, now went limp, sprawling out in an unnatural way. Her spine. Get it out of her i snarled flinging the scalpel at him she won't feel anything now and then i bent over her head her mouth looked clear so i pressed mine to hers and blew a lungful of air into it i felt her twitching body expand so there was nothing blocking her throat her lips tasted like blood i could hear her heart thumping unevenly keep it going i thought fiercely at her blowing another gust of air into her body You promised to keep your heart beating. I heard the soft, wet sound of the scalpel across her stomach. More blood dripping to the floor. The next sound jolted through me, unexpected, terrifying, like metal being shredded apart. The sound brought back the fight in the clearing so many months ago, the tearing sound of the newborns being ripped apart. I glanced over to see Edward's face pressed against the bulge. Vampire teeth a sure way to cut through vampire skin. I shuddered as I blew more air into Bella. She coughed back at me, her eyes blinking, rolling blindly. You stay with me now, Bella, I yelled at her. Do you hear? Stay. You're not leaving me. Keep your heart beating. Her eyes wheeled, looking for me or him, but seeing nothing. I stared into them anyway, keeping my gaze locked with hers. And then her body was suddenly still under my hands, though her breathing picked up roughly and her heart continued to thud. I realized the stillness meant it was over. The internal beating was over. It must be out of her. It was. Edward whispered, Renesme. So Belle had been wrong. It wasn't the boy she imagined. No big surprise there. 
What hadn't she been wrong about? I didn't look away from her red-spotted eyes, but I felt her hands lift weakly. Let me give her to me. I guess I should have known that he would always give her what she wanted, no matter how stupid her request might be. But I didn't dream he would listen to her now, so I didn't think to stop him. Something warm touched my arm. That right there should have caught my attention. Nothing felt warm to me, but I couldn't look away from Bella's face. She blinked and then stared, finally seeing something. She moaned out a strange, weak croon. Renez, May, so beautiful. And then she gasped, gasped in pain. By the time I looked, it was too late. Edward had snatched the warm, bloody thing out of her limp arms. My eyes flickered across her skin. It was red with blood. The blood that had flowed from her mouth, the blood smeared all over the creature, and fresh blood welling out of a tiny double crescent bite mark just over her left breast. No, Renezme. <laughs> Edward muttered, like he was teaching the monster manners. Da, da, da. So the last dramatic reading is during Bella and Edward's sex honeymoon, and it is a Bella monologue, and I am reading the whole thing. Oh, beautiful. So here we go. I'm going to get ready to drink. (sighs) We're going to tell Alice that I ran right to the clothes, I whispered, twisting my fingers into his hair and pulling my face closer to his. We're going to tell her that I spent hours in there playing dress up. We're going to lie. He caught up to my mood in an instant, or maybe he'd already been there, and he was just trying to let me fully appreciate my birthday present, like a gentleman. He pulled my face to his with a sudden fierceness, a low moan in his throat. The sound sent the electric current running through my body into a near frenzy, like I couldn't get close enough to him fast enough. I heard the fabric tearing under our hands, and I was glad my clothes, at least, were already destroyed. It was too late for his. It felt almost rude to ignore the pretty white bed, but we just weren't going to make it that far. This second honeymoon wasn't like our first. Our time on the island had been the epitome of human life, the very best of it. I'd been so ready to string along my human time, just to hold on to what I had with him for a little while longer, because the physical part wasn't going to be the same ever again. I should have guessed, after a day like today, that it would be better. I could really appreciate him now, could properly see every beautiful line of his perfect face, of his long, flawless body, with my strong new eyes, every angle and every plane of him. I could taste his pure, vivid scent on my tongue and feel the unbelievable silkiness of his marble skin underneath my sensitive fingertips. My skin was so sensitive under his hands, too. He was all new, a different person, as our bodies tangled gracefully into one on the sand-pale floor. No caution, no restraint, no fear, especially not that. We could love together, both active participants now, finally equals. Like our kisses before, every touch was more than I was used to. So much of himself had been he'd been holding back, necessary at the time, but I couldn't believe how much I'd been missing. I tried to keep in mind that I was stronger than he was, but it was hard to focus on anything with sensations so intense, pulling my attention to a million different places in my body every second. If I hurt him, he didn't complain. 
a very, very small part of my head considered the interesting conundrum presented in this situation. I was never going to get tired, and neither was he. We didn't have to catch our breath, or rest, or eat, or even use the bathroom. We had no more mundane human needs. He had the most beautiful, perfect body in the world, and I had him all to myself, and it didn't feel like I was ever going to find a point where I would think, now I've had enough for one day. I was always going to want more, and the day was never going to end. So in such a situation, how did we ever stop? It didn't bother me at all that I had no answer. Uh, They're just going to fuck so hard in this PG-rated book. (laughs) Truth. (laughs) Okay, so guys, would you rather fuck a werewolf or fuck a vampire? The correct answer is werewolf. I don't know, because, like, I feel like a werewolf is more human-like, but I also get hot real easy, and I feel like fucking someone whose body temperature is, like, a million degrees is just going to be sweaty and uncomfortable to me. Turn on the AC, girl! feel like fucking a vampire would be better for my comfort levels. I real quick, I just want to talk about how on the on Isle Esme, it's so hot that the Bella can't sleep unless Edward is cuddling her to cool her down. And it's uh. like, I know that you guys don't feel heat, but just like buy an air conditioner for your guest. Jesus. Anyway, how about you, Carrie? Fuck a werewolf, fuck a vampire. I mean, like, I feel like it like is really down to the individual person. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just imagine it's like your your dream person, okay, personality so wise. It's but, like a person that I like, and would I rather they be a werewolf or a vampire? Yeah, it's not like, like a specific like, one. Okay, just like, werewolf. Werewolf. Yeah, correct. Okay, great. Okay, that's good. That helps. <laughs> would you rather be a a shield or a thought projector? Which I guess is how I would describe Renesmee's gift. I mean, what I'd really want is to read minds, but I know that's not a option. Actually, I don't know that I'd want to read lines. Minds. What I really want to do is teleport, which isn't an option at all. No, same. <laughs> Teleportation is the best superpower. None of the vampires <laughs> have it. Absolutely. No teleporting vampires in this. But they can run so fast. It's basically that, though. Okay, fair. Um, I guess I'd want to be a sh- well. Here's, okay, I'm being thought projector, and here's how I'm using it, is I'm just going to, like, think gifs at people. (laughs) (laughs) If somebody's like, hey, how's it going? And I'm just like, I just think the scene of George Michael Bluth, like, taking his backpack off and collapsing on the floor. I just, like, think that at them. And then they're like, okay. Oh, my God. Because it's like, you know, like, when you know that 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 image is out there, but you can't find it. Yeah. But you could just do that yourself just from remembering it. Yeah. That's a great power. I want that power. <laughs> I mean, I don't think, it, like, I couldn't then make a GIF of, I can't connect my brain to the computer, but I can but, use it to communicate with people. Yeah, yeah. No, I like it. I like that one. Great. Uh, I think, I think I'm going to pick shield just in order, because I feel like the implication here is that other people have other powers, and I don't want to get in with that shit. So it's just, like, a good, like, defensive power. I, I see that, too. Yeah, yeah I mean, because, like, then, like, you could fuck Sookie Stackhouse. I could. I, well, 
I was going to say I wouldn't want to, but uh, what's-her-name's pretty hot, so... Anna Paquin? And she's bi in real life, so... Yeah. Yeah, no, no, I mean, you, you've definitely got a shot with her. Yeah. Definitely. But, I would 100% but not if she can, not if she can read your thoughts, though. So... I, Anna Paquin also can read minds. <laughs> okay. That's important information to have. I read it in National Enquirer. <laughs> <laughs> Does that still exist? I think it does. <laughs> so, in a roundabout way, I would choose S.H.I.E.L.D. so that I could maybe one day fuck Anna Paquin. Yes. <laughs> Great. Okay, last up. Would you rather have a half-vampire baby who your best friend wants to fuck, or be a sad, childless hag? I love being a sad, childless hag. Fair. Yeah. No, same. Uh, I think I'll have a half-vampire baby who my friend best friend wants to fuck because as creepy as my best friend wanting to fuck my baby would be like that feels like the ideal way to have a baby to have like a perfect baby who can immediately communicate with you and also is like immortal and also you're immortal and also like you don't ever get tired and the baby doesn't wake you up in the middle of the night and in like a month the baby's like five (laughs) yeah but also, what about just having a cat? <laughs> I'm allergic to cats. How do you know you're not allergic to vampires? That's a good point. But I'm still going to go with Puffer All right. Well, that's how you play Would You Rather. Next up is normally Reader's Advisory. But you know what? We've already recommended you so many Twilight readalikes. We're just going to link you to the old ones. And uh, you'll you'll find something. Also, I'm going to tell you to listen to Great Comet, because it's closed now, and I'm mad about it. And I read an article today on Vulture about, you know, the 900th article about how the whole thing went down, and I'm just mad about it again. And I really want to hug Dave Malloy, like, a lot. I mean, I wanted to hug him before. Like, I almost asked to hug him at the stage shore, but then I was like, is that weird? Is it weird now that I'm 30? Like, it was less weird when I was, like, 17, and I feel like it's weird now. So I didn't do that. Also, I was really sweaty. It was very hot that day and very humid. If you were a vampire... It would have been fine. It would have. Do you think Dave Malloy would like to come on our podcast? We should invite him onto our podcast. Yeah, you can you get him and Lynn on the same day? Just just send those tweets, girl. See what comes of it. (laughs) See, but the thing is, I feel like I feel like Dave Malloy actually might come on our podcast. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like he has an achievable goal. He maybe is like is too nice though that he wouldn't want to shit on anybody else's book. (laughs) Yeah, I'd have to think about an angle. Could, yeah. you, could you do War and Peace? Would he come on your on your podcast to talk about War and Peace, but only like I the 12 pages of I don't want to read War and Peace. Could we no, read a Great like Illustrated Classic? Yes, let's read the Great Illustrated Classics of War and Peace. Great. Send Fun. that tweet. Uh, take a drink for a musical theater reference, etc. Yeah. Let's move on to our candy pairing. I had one that I picked, but now I want it to be Doritos because I want a Dorito. I want, like, 20 Doritos. That's all. (laughs) I picked Jordan almonds, which are those gross fake candy almond things that you get in little bunches at weddings and baby showers because they're good for babies and wedding showers. Like, when you get married and then two weeks later you're pregnant and then two weeks after that you have a vampire baby. And also, there are people who really like them, which I find very perplexing. 
but it is the truth of the world, much like Twilight <laughs> or something. Okay, and I said, like, Lickamid, which is, like, those, you know, there's, like, six six or seven different flavors and colors, and you get a, there's a candy stick that you lick, and you, like, put it in, and you pick up the dust, and then you lick off it, and because I remember those from when I was a kid, and, like, recently, or not that recently, but at some point I picked one up, and I was like, oh, I remember the flavor of this, and it was really good, and then there's so much of it. Like, why is there this much? Why is it still here? Why am I still eating it? And that was how I felt on it. Not just reading, but rereading Breaking Dawn. I was like, you know what? I think I got the idea the first time. I don't want to jinx it. I've made it almost entirely through this podcast without accidentally calling it Breaking Bad instead of Breaking Dawn, <laughs> which I was <laughs> really afraid that I would do. Are you going to do a Breaking Bad podcast after this one? <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, worse b- Breaking Bad. No, shit. I don't know. <laughs> I wasn't ready. But I, I feel like you take Breaking Bad too seriously. Uh, I kind of... My Breaking Bad podcast would be every week I fight a different, like, white man about it and just tell them <laughs> that they're liking it wrong. Yeah, no, that's fair. I was going to say I would watch that podcast, but that's not true. <laughs> I would... Li- I, then I was going to say I would read that podcast, but I would listen to that podcast. <laughs> I would smell that podcast. Would... <laughs> Speaking of smelling things, let's play the rock, paper, snicked. <laughs> wow. that, that segue is because Wolverine's enhanced senses. He can Smelting. smell podcasts. <laughs> He's good at smelling. Anyway... The Rock, Paper, Snakes is the game where Kate says who doing the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I say who Wolverine would be, and Carrie picks the winner. Or Paper, which is nothing. (laughs) (laughs) If Dwayne the Rock Johnson was in this book, he would be a guest vampire from the vampire montage, and then, like, the big vampire showdown, and he would just be, like, one that they met, and then... Uh, after the book, he would, like, become, like, a goofy uncle to Renesme, and he'd become, like, a recurring character in the future Twilight sequels, and he would, like, bring her little presents all the time, and she would like him a lot, and... But not like she likes Jacob, because that's gross. So gross. <laughs> Just a horrible amount of liking for a little girl and her goofy uncle. Um, so if Wolverine were in this book, I think um, he would have been, like, displaced from his sadness cave by Jacob during his sadness cave phase. So he would be sort of, like, grumpy and in the woods uh, during the whole vampire showdown. And he would see vampire Renata and they would just have, like, an instant connection, and they would both leave the vampire fight to just go, like, make out in a cave. And it would just be that. Fade to okay. black. Yeah, I mean, Renata, I think you would really enjoy the vampire Renata and Wolverine, but I feel like the rock is, like, the cool uncle is definitely the, the, the way to go. Yeah, I, I understand that my option is mainly only appealing to my fellow Renatas. <laughs> But somewhere out there, there's a watch battery that's like, hell yeah. (laughs) Oh my god. Anyway, uh, what's the moral of the story? The moral of the story is, if you're famous enough, someone will let you publish an 800-page book where nothing actually happens. And I hope one day to achieve that goal. My moral of the story is it actually is pretty easy being beautiful. 
my moral, not just for this book, for the whole, but for this whole series, is women should have agency to make their own decisions as long as it's about having a baby that's going to maybe kill them, but definitely not like what car do they want to drive or what do they want to wear, where do they want to go on the honeymoon, where do they want to go to college, all those things, their husband or their husband's sister should decide for them. That sounds about right. Now it's time for Duarte's Corner, where my cat Duarte, or maybe Carrie's cat Hadassah, will share their opinions about the book. I think Hadassah's bored at this point. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Duarte, I think you're right. I do think that uh, Charlene Harris was really onto something with the whole we're panthers and we're tigers idea. And I, I do think Stephanie Meyer should have gone ahead and introduced some shape-shifting cats into the book. And I, I yeah. also do agree that it was pretty upsetting when Bella ate the mountain lion. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I totally agree that if you're going to go at the end and be like, no, they're shapeshifters, not werewolves, why did she have to make them wolves in the first place when she could have made them a cat-like creature instead? It just is, it is not, she did not think very well on it in the beginning. She didn't. But that's okay, because we have, we have True Blood now. Yes. <laughs> you can write your fan fiction too. People at fanfiction.net are going to love your stories about the were-cats in Twilight. Oh, so much. And also somebody just write the YA series that Bella, I mean, Lake Clearwater is the heroine of. Yeah. That has nothing to do with this. And it could start, like, she realizes she's a shifter and she doesn't have to be a wolf. And she's like, I'm gonna be a tiger. Hell yeah. If if we hit our $10,000 a month Patreon goal, I would be happy to write Julie of the Werewolves. Oh my god. Julie falls in love with Leah Clearwater. But we are not there yet, so give us money so I can quit my job and do that instead. I can't believe I forgot about Julie of the Werewolves. (laughs) Oh, iconic. Okay, Uh, thank you so much for that, Duarte. Do any humans have any closing thoughts? I'm so happy we're done. I'm going to read Brie Tanner and, like, report back. Okay, cool. Um, I don't know. I'm medium drunk. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty drunk, but that doesn't end how happy I am that we're done. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I'd read another one. (laughs) (laughs) Don't lie. I'm sure there will be more. Uh, we'll check back in with you as this saga develops. Uh, okay. Well, if you want some more of of this whole business, by which I mean our podcast, you can like us on Facebook. You can follow us on Twitter, where we're worst bestseller with no S, because uh, Syobin took that S for her weird name. <laughs> Callback. You can also join our Goodreads group, which is easily accessible from worstbestsellers.com and kind of hard to find through Goodreads itself. Uh, You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, or Google Play. Uh, If you do subscribe to us on any of those platforms, please rate and review us. When you rate and review us, it uh, pops us up a little bit in the charts and makes it easier for people to find us. If you don't rate and review us, we're going to tell the Volturi where you are. 
that they'll come to where you are and kind of like glower at you for a little while and be wishy-washy about whether or not they're going to murder your baby. And like not immediately, uh, but like when the first snow falls, they'll come. Okay. Yeah. I also yeah. want to interject. I feel like we only ever talk about like the couple of bad reviews we've gotten on iTunes <laughs> because they are kind of funny. But I do want to say I was reading them recently and someone left one saying like that they liked our show, but they thought Duarte's opinions were a little too intellectual for the average listener. And I thought that was really funny. So good job to you, iTunes reviewer. More of that, please. (laughs) You can also subscribe to us on Patreon, where for a small recurring monthly donation, you'll have access to all sorts of perks, like the aforementioned Twilight movie episode, as well as voting on books that we'll use in future episodes and things like that. Uh, The money that you pledge will go towards things like paying our editor and upgrading equipment. And as I said, when we reach $10,000 a month, I will quit my job and write Julie of the Werewolves full time. So get on that, please, Patreon (laughs) sponsors. All right. Uh, If you want me personally and also access to many photos I post of Duarte, you can follow me on Twitter at Renata Snacks. If you want to hear more about Great Comet all the time, you can follow me personally on Twitter at 14across. To be totally honest, I don't do very much on the internet right now, but you can find my Twitter at Carrie, C-A-R-R-I-E-M, as in Mary Pruitt, P-R-U-E-T-T. Cool. Um, Oh boy, I can't believe I'm saying this. We'll be back in two weeks with Handbook for Mortals by Lainey Sarum. We might be sober. Uh, thanks so much for listening. It's been a great three years. Carrie, thanks for coming back. We loved your Twilight opinions, as always. No problem. <laughs> and bye. Bye. I'm going to refill my drink while that's happening because I drank all my drink.